Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom. I'm Brian Barnett, the creator and host of The Last Symptom. I'm happy to have you here with me again this week. We're going to be talking about a bunch of interesting stuff this week, so I hope you'll stick around and enjoy the show. Topics. John Lennon. We're also going to be talking about dancing along to the crowd of unhealthy music. What am I talking about? Stick around. Let's find out. Be willing to have people mad at you. Are, are you able to do that? Who gets priority, mom or wife? We're going to talk about how inner peace and good health are the same thing. But first, we have to do the disclaimer and the introduction music. So let's get into that. Don't go away. I'll be right here when it ends. I'm Brian Barnett. I'm just a regular guy. I'm not a doctor. I have no legal license in any field of psychology. But... I did live a large part of my life with borderline personality disorder unknowingly, and I really did rid myself of the disorder completely and permanently. Through that, I've become an expert on issues involving emotional health. I accept no responsibility whatsoever for your feelings, thoughts, behaviors, decisions, and actions, including your decision to watch or listen to this show at all. But I do hope you might benefit yourself from the insights I share. Well, here we are. We're back here at The Last Symptom, and I'm really pleased that you're uh, listening or watching. I know I've been gone for a few weeks. I uh, had a vacation in the Carolinas there for a couple weeks, and now I'm trying to get back into the swing of things. And the show actually was supposed to be published a few days ago, and uh, I'm still playing catch-up, so I didn't get it out. I haven't been able to get it out at the time that I had hoped to do that. But we're here now, and that's what's important, and you're here now, and I'm, I'm happy to be talking to you. Uh, let's see. Anything interesting while I was on my vacation? Yes. I had something for the first time that I love and I'm really impressed with. And it's something that I intend to do a lot more. Um, have you ever had peanut butter on a hamburger? Peanut butter on a hamburger. It was my first experience with that. And I'll tell you. It was really something else. It was a really pleasant experience. So peanut butter on hamburgers is something that I'm looking forward to moving forward. In fact, when I was uh, eating that hamburger, this is a highfalutin restaurant. I said, I, when I saw that on the menu, I said, I got to try that. Uh, but when I was, when I had that hamburger, so it was a, a big, tall hamburger and it had, uh, you know, of course, cheese and all the works, but it also had bacon and then uh, they had smeared peanut butter on the, I think it was the bottom bun. And uh, the taste, the way that complemented all the other tastes was just fantastic. I said, the only thing missing from this is an egg. Have you ever had a hamburger with a, an egg on it? Well, now the vacation is over, I'm actually dieting. So I shouldn't be talking about the peanut butter hamburger because <laughs> now's not a good time. I should... I should wait a month or so go by before I start talking about that. But no, I had a good time. It was nice and relaxing and got to recharge the batteries a little bit, I think. And so now I'm here, I'm enthused, and that's exactly how you want me, ain't it? Let's talk about uh, John Lennon here to get us started. This actually comes from somebody named Malliope E.M. from Quora. Yeah, believe it or not, I do still go on there from time to time. Not very often, but from time to time. And this Malliope, EM on Quora, answered this question about uh, John Lennon. And I copied it down because she or he expresses so well my own thoughts about John Lennon. Before I start 
sharing some of this, what she wrote or he wrote uh, with you. Let me tell you that I, I saw his son, Julian, John Lennon's son, Julian, on an interview one time, and they asked him, you know, um, how, you know, how effective was the song Hey Jude for you? What was interesting about this is, as a parent and as somebody who grew up with an abusive with abusive parents myself, and who as a parent now is really sensitive to my daughter's feelings and thoughts and how things affect her, the things that I do, how those affect her, um, how she interprets and and gets messages from my behaviors and my actions and my decisions. Uh, very sensitive to that. I had often on my own thought about Julian Lennon. And I thought about that time in his life and about how painful that must have been and how that surely has had an effect on him throughout his life. So it was interesting for me to see this interview with Julian Lennon where he got to explain uh, in his own words for himself that the song Hey Jude, which is, you know, uh, attributed to actually being about uh, Julian, he didn't give it the positive reception that you'd imagine. He said he, he knows that the whole world thought it was amazing and everything, and but for him it was painful. It was a painful time in his life. His father abandoned him, and it was actually, I think, Paul McCartney who uh, was really the one more interested in Julian's feelings than, than John Lennon was. Well, we've got these heroes in our lives, don't we? I mean, we've got these figures in the world who are kind of larger than life, and they kind of get deified, don't they? Uh, Steve Jobs comes to mind. There's a guy, obviously, he uh, an interesting individual, but uh, as far as his value as a father, it wasn't, it wasn't very high, was it? And to me, that's really... When I evaluate a man, especially, um, that is the measure I'm going by. How good of a father were they? How did they treat their children? If, if you can get a sense of that, then you can get a real sense of the person's character. So anyway... Steve Jobs wasn't the best of uh, parents, uh, nor was John Lennon. Here's the article that uh, Malayapi E.M. on Quora wrote. I'm just going to give you some excerpts of this. The, this person says, being a big fan of the Beatles, it pains me to write this, but I feel I must. John Lennon, despite being a brilliant songwriter, actually had some horrible traits in his personality that some people ignore or overlook. I would say the majority. I once wrote, I once included uh, John Lennon in an article that I wrote about emotional disorders and that sort of thing. And uh, man, the, the hate mail that come back from that was uh, passionate. I'll tell you that. It was very passionate. That's, a, that's an indication of people arriving at conclusions about reality based on their feelings rather than on their critical thought. They're not, they're not even hearing you. All they see is an attack against something that they worship and they react accordingly. This article here goes on to say, Before marrying his first wife, Cynthia, John saw her dancing with Stuart Sutcliffe and slapped her so hard that she hit her head against the wall. Three months later, they got back together after mutually apologizing. An employee saw him, that is to say John Lennon, continuing to beat her and warned Cynthia to stay away from him. During their marriage, Cynthia was a victim of domestic violence. When their son Julian was born, John didn't see him until three days after the birth and then went on vacation to Barcelona with Brian Epstein. We talk a lot here in Last Symptom about the law of genuine attitude reflection, don't we? 
So if you just take that, his firstborn son is born. He doesn't go see him for three days and then turns right around and goes on this long vacation to Barcelona with Brian Epstein, leaving his newborn son behind. Going by the law of genuine attitude reflection, would you say that John, that the attitude that John Lennon lived with was that his son was very valuable, that his son had a lot of value, that this was, that his son was very important? Or would you say that John's attitude was that he was not important at all and had no value? Remember that the law of genuine attitude reflection never lies. It's a perfect mirror for what people's true attitudes are. John Lennon, the article goes on to say, had little to do with his son, Julian, even saying to him, Julian was born out of a whiskey bottle on a Saturday night. In an interview in 1980, Julian said of his father, so this is young, well, now uh, adult Julian Lennon talking. He says, My father never showed the peace and love he touted in his songs to the people who should have meant something to him, his wife and son. How can a person loudly proclaim such noble ideals when his own family has fallen apart because of him? There was never any dialogue between us, only divorces and infidelities. You can't be honest with people if you're not first honest with yourself. The article goes on to say, John distanced himself from his son. The best Julian could get was a trust fund of 100,000 pounds, which he had to share with Sean, John and Yoko, uh, his second wife's son. After John's death, Julian had to buy his father's belongings at an auction to have some memories of him. And then this person very insightfully says this, speaking, and she, she or he, this Malayapi E.M. on Quora, doesn't know it, but he or she has given us another insight into the law of genuine attitude reflection. I, I, for some reason, I think this is a she but it might be a he, I don't know. But I'm going to say she. She ends the, her article this way. John Lennon always spoke of peace and love, but apparently he could never practice them. The law of genuine attitude reflection, do you remember why it's so powerful? Because people say lots of things. People believe that they believe lots of things. But their natural behaviors do not contradict whatever their true underlying attitudes are. John Lennon spoke of love and peace, could do that because he doesn't know what those things are. It's a, it's a fantasy idea to him. He's, he's, so th keep that in mind when you hear John Lennon's songs about peace and love you're listening to a man sing about something he knows nothing about. It's He's got some kind of fictionalized version in his head where love allows you to be completely self-absorbed, to be concerned only about yourself, to look upon those who are in your care with no value, to, to perceive them as having no value whatsoever. He got rich. The man got rich off of uh, selling this idea. But, but, you know, if you think about the fact that the most of the world also is unhealthy and has completely false notions of what love is and everything, you know, uh, the people, most of the people out in the world listening to these songs also claim to love people that they then abuse or devalue or um, put in you know, such a low, low regard while uh, being so selfish in their lives 
in the way that they live their lives. When John, or I'm sorry, when Julian here in this quote, my father talking about peace and love, these things should have meant something to him. You should have, I, this should have been visible in his dealings with his family. How can a person loudly proclaim such noble ideals when he's not applying any of those things toward the people who most deserve it from him? I could almost feel the uh, frustration and the disappointment and the, the, the feelings of betrayal that Julian Lennon must have felt when he was saying that because that's also um, a serious aspect of uh, my relationship with my father. My father put on this big display for the world uh, so that they would love him and celebrate him, think he's the nicest guy in the whole world. But then when we would get home behind closed doors, he was the the meanest, most despicable, unhappy, abusive, unloving uh, person I've ever met. And to this day, people still run into me. Oh, oh you're... Oh, you're, uh, I know your dad. Oh, he's such a great guy. He's such a great guy. Man, <laughs> I'm gritting my teeth. Gritting my teeth. It used to be, now back in early stages of my uh, authentic recovery, that I would, I would straighten him right out. I'd say, no, no, you got it all wrong. My dad is a woman and a child abuser. And they would look at me like I just slapped them in the face. And it would make them extremely uncomfortable. Well, I'm not responsible for their comfort or discomfort or, you know, not popping their bubble of delusion, right? So I wasn't wrong to do that. But what I've learned is that um, it's pointless. They're, they won't believe me. They won't believe me when I tell them that. The only thing that serves to do is give them a bad opinion of me. Isn't that something? Think about that. The only thing it does is serve to give the person a bad opinion of me, his abused son, who's simply telling the truth. I'm not talking bad about the guy. I'm simply telling the truth about the guy. And people, when I do that, uh, will use that to think poorly of me to question my judgment. They can't comprehend the notion that this man acts one way for them and is so charming, but was not like that to his family. So they actually think I'm lying. You know, what it comes down to is that they, they don't want to believe that their own assessment of a person could be so off the mark. But did they live with me growing up? No, they didn't live with me growing up. Is there any way possible for them to know when I tell them that my father was a wife and a child abuser behind closed doors in our private personal family? Is there any way for them not to know that or to know that? There's no way for them to know that or not know that. So it's really, I think of like uh, children who are sexually abused, like maybe... Uh, well, that's what I think of. I think of like children who have been sexually abused, uh, like a priest or something like that, and they go and tell somebody, and historically what has happened? They think that the child is making it up. They don't believe the child because they don't want to believe that this priest or somebody in authority that they admire so much could do such a thing or that their evaluation of that person could be wrong. Their, the, sort of their identity is tied up in these people that they admire and worship. And so to learn that their evaluation of another person could be wrong is kind of like them admitting that they're, they're wrong, like there's something wrong with them. So people really rebel against the thing. Who was this guy uh, in State College, Pennsylvania? Uh, college football coach and his assistant, uh, 
Paterno, Joe Paterno, and uh, I think it was his assistant, sexually abusing kids all along. And both kind of in cahoots about it. I mean, Paterno wasn't an idiot. He knew something was going on. And um, nobody believed these kids. It took years. It took years for that to come out. It's uh, that phenomenon is just so frustrating. It's so frustrating as um, the recipient of abuse to become aware that you've been abused, you know, because people who are being abused, children especially, don't see that for what it is. And so you live so long not even knowing that you're being abused. And once you become aware of it and you, you try to talk to somebody about it, what do they do? They take the side of the abuser. It's the craziest thing. They assume that you're, you're so full of baloney and that the abuser is the innocent one and you're being mean to the abuser by simply telling the truth, by simply telling the thing what really happened, what the person really is, what they really have done, and uh, people don't want to hear it. It's, it's extremely frustrating. So anyway, I've, I've gotten off onto a little tangent there, but... What I'm saying to you is that what I've learned to do is I don't do that anymore. When I go out into public, I run into somebody and they go, oh, I know your dad. He's such a great guy. My goodness, your dad is so charming. I just bite my tongue. It's not, it wouldn't be wrong of me to say, no, you don't know my father. He's a woman abuser and a child abuser. That's my dad. Wouldn't be wrong. It's just... uh, it doesn't work. There's no, you're playing the cost-benefit game. What's the, the benefit? Zero. What's the cost? The cost is that the person's not going to. The person doesn't believe you. It's like you say. It's like you telling them that I saw an alien spacecraft last night. They're not going to believe you. And so, what do you do? I mean, what's the, the wise thing to do? Just bite your tongue. I know the truth and that's all that matters it really is all that matters for my inner peace me knowing the truth is all that matters I don't have to convince anybody else of anything and we're going to kind of that's going to kind of play into what we're going to be talking about later on in this program about our own contentment you remember that one of the things I said we were going to talk about was inner peace um what was it? How exactly did I word that? Uh, inner peace and good health are the same thing. Well, let's go ahead and talk about that. Why do I say that inner peace and contentment, or inner peace is the same as good emotional health? So let's put that in there. We're talking about good emotional health, obviously. Inner peace is not the same as having a six-pack of abs or uh, being able to lift, you know, a thousand pounds or anything like that or run uh, 10 miles without stopping. When I say that inner peace and good health are the same thing, we're talking about good emotional health. But have you ever stopped to think about it? You know, you hear me talking about good emotional health and inner peace and contentment all the time. I talk about them almost like they're different things, but... um, they're not different things. They're the same thing. If you have good emotional health, what is the inescapable result of that? Inner peace and contentment. True inner peace and contentment. Now, if you have true inner what is the only way to have true inner peace and contentment? The only way to have true inner peace and contentment is to be emotionally healthy. So do you see that effectively they are exactly the same thing? So I was talking to somebody the other day and I said, you know, often when you're doing this type of recovery work, you're thinking that the objective is good emotional health, right? That's where I'm trying to get. I'm trying to get emotionally healthy. I'm trying to get emotionally healthy. If it is more constructive for you to instead think that my objective, what I'm working toward, is genuine inner contentment, 
And if that's more effective for you, and if that seems more uh, tactile to you, well, then just think of it that way. What am I trying to do? I'm trying to achieve inner peace and contentment. Now, why is that important? It's important because um, inner peace and contentment is independent of anything external. And what do I mean by that? What I, might, what I mean by that is that, well, let's put it this way. It, if a person is, um, is very discontent and wins the lottery or inherit, inherits uh, a billion dollars, what will we see in that person? Would, does this transform the person into a content person? The answer is no. A billion dollars does not transform a discontent person into a content person. Why is that? Because contentment doesn't come from anything external, remember. But what happens if a content person, you give a content person a billion dollars? Well, they stay content. They're, they're already content. Their contentment is not dependent on what they have. So... I'd like you to think about that and keep that in mind. I'm sure we've talked about it in the past. Whatever your circumstances, whatever's going on in your life, you can become truly content. You, in other words, you, tr you truly can experience genuine inner contentment and peace regardless of your circumstances. And the reason why that's important is because I think a lot of people say to themselves, and I certainly did this in the past, say to themselves, if, um, if this were to happen, if this person were to do this thing or that thing, and if this were to happen, and if I had this, and if I lived here in this other place, then I could be content. What does that mean? Remember, we're talking about inner contentment and good emotional health being uh, synonymous. Well, in that scenario, it would mean that your good emotional health depends on factors outside of your control, things that you absolutely have no or little control over. You know, it's like, think about this. If, if, uh, if it's sunny and, uh, and the temperatures are moderate on my wedding day, then, um, I'll be content. What's the problem with that? The problem is that you're not in charge of your own contentment. Your contentment is dependent on things entirely outside of your control, on whether the day is sunny and on whether the temperatures are moderate. In reality, true inner peace and contentment is within your control. And you have to take control, assume control, over your own contentment. Where does that contentment come from? It comes from inside of you. And this person I was talking to, I was telling her, it's, when we're unhealthy, we think of things as outside in. But when you're healthy, you realize that everything is inside out. What do I mean by that? What I mean is when you get healthy, you realize that your contentment is built on what, what's going on inside of, inside of you, not outside of you. You know, in a very practical way, let's talk about that for a second. When you're unhealthy and you're in a situation where you're around a bunch of unhealthy people, or let's say you don't necessarily have to be around unhealthy people, you're just around people. But when you're unhealthy, where's your focus? Where's the unhealthy person's focus just living life? Isn't it on everything external? You're looking around at what people are doing or not doing, and that's having a grand effect on you, seemingly. Uh, where you live or where you don't live has a great effect on you, seemingly. How much money you have or don't have has a grand effect on you, seemingly. Here's where I want your focus to be, because this is where all healthy people's focus is. Your focus needs to be not on what other people are doing or not doing, but rather 
how you are managing yourself in any given situation. Let's make the contrast. What do unhealthy people do? Their focus is on everything outside of them. Things outside of their control. Wishing it would change. Wishing it would be different. Uh, sometimes tr trying to will it to be different. Sometimes trying to force it to be different. It's very frustrating when you try to control what is uncontrollable. Notice that in that statement there, I'm not saying that it, you're just not trying hard enough or that if you were smarter, you could control it. I'm talking about things that you can't control, even if you wanted to. No matter how smart you are, no matter how much, much you exert yourself. It just leads to a lot of frustration. But that's the unhealthy way, isn't it? Attention on everything outside of your control, on everything external. You know, I, in the kind of the mid stages of my recovery, I lived in uh, an apartment. I wasn't too, you know, I wouldn't want to live there now. It wasn't the most fantastic or luxurious apartment. It certainly wasn't up to the standards of living that I had been used to for the decade before I lived there. But, um, I realized this even when I was living there, that none of this external stuff matters as far as my inner peace and contentment. The only thing for my inner peace and contentment that matters is what's going on inside of me. There's so many, you could sit around and think about this for so long and draw so many insights out of it. But the one that I just highlighted is, you're around a bunch of unhealthy people. When you're unhealthy, what do you do? They should be doing this. They shouldn't be doing that. That's where your attention is, right? What they're doing or not doing. But where should your attention be instead? <clears throat> your attention should be on how am I managing myself in this situation, in these less than ideal situation uh, situations. And uh, I was just telling the person that I talked to the other day about the fact that there were... Uh, individuals and even groups of individuals during world war ii in the nazi concentration camps people were astounded that they were able to maintain inner peace and contentment even in those conditions but it shouldn't surprise anybody because where does inner peace and contentment come from? Is it dependent on things outside of your control? Is it dependent on the weather? I use the weather as an example because that's what, it's something that's out of our control. And life, in grand part, is like the weather, uh, meaning that many, most aspects of it are completely out of our control. So how could those people be and maintain inner peace and contentment in such terrible circumstances because inner peace and contentment comes from within. Did you capture the takeaway point? Unhealth is outside in. Good health is inside out. And you can apply that to many different aspects of life if you're unhealthy it's all outside in if you're healthy it's all inside out starts with what's going on inside of you not dependent inner peace and contentment is uh, inner peace and contentment is independent of external circumstances it can be got and maintained no matter what's going on outside of outside of you you see if it were the other way around if genuine inner peace and contentment were dependent on things outside of our control like things have to happen first before i can experience it like things outside of me have to happen first the weather's got to be right i've got to have the right amount of money i've got to be driving the right kind of car got to have the right type of girlfriend and those sorts of things then nobody would ever experience inner peace and contentment because it's outside of your control. It's the, it, you're, you're just waiting on chance, right? Chance to provide it. But that's not the true nature of inner peace and contentment. 
the true nature of inner peace and contentment is that you create it. How do you create it? By doing self-examinations, looking at your thinking, your attitudes, your understanding of things. And when you find distorted thinking or incorrect thinking or non-constructive thinking, you correct it. Let's uh, go on through this, uh, these questions that I asked at the beginning. We talked about John Lennon. I said that uh, we'd talk about dancing along with, with the crowd to unhealthy music. What did I mean by that? What I meant, and I'm going to paint a picture for you. I want you to try to imagine this in your head. Because this is what's going on if you're unhealthy. And again, remember, we're not talking about your cholesterol. We're talking about your emotional health. So I'm going to paint a picture for you. You're unhealthy. Let's, that's, the, that's the premise, okay? You're unhealthy. Let's say you're married. What do we know right off the bat? That your partner is also unhealthy. Why do we know that? We know it because emotionally healthy people don't form, uh, don't get into committed relationships with unhealthy people. So... You never get a situation where uh, an unhealthy person and a healthy person get into a committed relationship. It doesn't happen. Well, if that's true, what else do we know? If that's true, what we also know is that the in-laws, that's right, both in-laws, so let me say that in a better way, the wife's parents, and the husband's parents are also unhealthy. Well, how do we know that? We know that because of uh, an understanding of where emotional unhealth comes from or emotional disorders. They don't come from nowhere. They come from their, the education, the emotional education that children get from their emotional teachers. Who are their emotional teachers? Their parents. So, y'all with me? We got a a wife and a husband, and somebody says the wife is unhealthy. Okay, what do we immediately know? We know that the husband also is unhealthy, and we know that his parents are unhealthy because if they weren't, he wouldn't be unhealthy. And what do we know about her? Her parents are unhealthy. How do we know? Because uh, if they weren't, she wouldn't be unhealthy. And so can you follow that back even further? You sure can. What do we know about the uncles and aunts? The uncles and aunts got to be unhealthy too, don't they? Unless they've done this type of work. So I got to put that disclaimer in there. We can't assume that they for sure are unhealthy. We can just assume that the probability is high that they are unhealthy because the probability is low that they've done this work, which is difficult um, work that not everybody wakes up to a need to do. So what do we know about the uncles and aunts? They're all unhealthy too. Why do we know that? Because, <laughs> because of the formula. Where does, it, where does emotional disorder and emotional unhealth come from? It's taught by the emotional caretakers or the emotional teachers. And who are they? They're the parents. So if the parents of this wife and husband are unhealthy, why are they unhealthy? Well, they're unhealthy because their parents were unhealthy. So you see, we're talking about the uncles and aunts now. Could they get out of that situation without being unhealthy? No, they couldn't get out of that situation without, without being unhealthy. They were educated by the same two emotional teachers as the parents of this couple that we're talking about. And what is emotional disorder? What is emotional unhealth? It's unhealthy thinking. It's false, inaccurate thinking or understanding about the nature of feelings, self, and life. So why am I taking the time to paint this big picture for you of the environment we're talking about? And you remember how it started. It started by us saying there's one person in a relationship, one person in a marriage, and that one person is unhealthy. 
And what do we automatically know just from that? The husband's unhealthy, the parents are unhealthy, the uncles and aunts are unhealthy, and there's... So what are we looking at? We're looking at this picture, right, of a big ensemble of people, the big crowd of people. And we're looking at a big, unhealthy environment. Because who are the people in their lives? It's all of these people, all these unhealthy people, the uncles and the aunts and the grandparents and, and all these people. And what do they all have in common? What do they all share? They all share the same false distorted way of looking at the world of looking at the world and thinking about the world the nature of feelings self and life all of them so if you can imagine this this scene we've got all these unhealthy people and you let's say that you're one of them you're just one of these people in this family so you're you're just one individual in in this um, what we what should we call it? Let's call it a cast, a cast of people. So think of like a a big movie set, right? And you're just one individual within this large cast on this movie set. But when we're talking about this cast and this movie set, what are we talking about? We're talking about the environment that the person is in, right? What They look to their left, what do they see? People sharing the same distorted thinking and thoughts and behaviors. They look to the right, what do they see? Same thing, right? So wherever you look, when you're in this environment, wherever you look, that's what you encounter. The same unhealthy thinking, the same unhealthy behaviors, same unhealthy attitudes, the same unhealthy everything. Now, I like to think of this as this is a musical so it's not just a movie it's a musical it's a movie musical and everybody they're breaking out into song and dance right and when they do everybody dances one of my favorite movies of all time is the music man with robert preston from 19 1963 or thereabouts but anyway you know how a musical works People break out in the song and dance, and everybody, you look out, and everybody's dancing, aren't they? Dancing and singing. And I think of this as like a, the Pied Piper. You remember the story about the Pied Piper? What, what, what was the story about the Pied Piper? This guy comes into town, and he plays his flute, and the children are mesmerized and put into a spell by it. And they just dance to the music. They can't even help themselves. But let's go. Let's continue with our discussion here about this uh, movie musical. And when you're a cast member in this musical, and the music starts playing, and everybody starts dancing to the music, what happens when, let's say this, what would happen if, in the middle of all this, one individual, you, were to simply stop dancing. You just stop dancing to the music. What would happen? What would be the reaction of everybody else in this dance number? What would be the reaction among all the other cast members of this musical, this movie musical? What would the director do? Oh, he, he would call cut, 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 cut. Stop, stop rolling the film. Stop, stop, stop. What's going on? Everybody would be angry, wouldn't they? Why did you stop dancing? We've rehearsed this and rehearsed this. You know your role. You know you're supposed to dance, you, where you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to be doing during this big, this big dance number that we're trying to make for this movie. So why did you stop dancing? Think about the emotions of the other dancers. They turn on the person, don't they? Come on, get it together. Get it together. Cooperate. The director, he's angry. Oh, we got to start this all over again. What, what happened? Why did you stop dancing? So the music starts up again, and you, you start dancing, but then you stop. Again, what's the reaction of the other dancers, of the other cast members, of the director? Anger, right? You're not cooperating. Where am I getting at with this? Well, we go back to what we were talking about. 
when you're in when you're you've got an unhealthy person and you've got an unhealthy family what are we looking at we're looking at this big ensemble this big cast of characters remember we talked about the husband the wife the parents of them all the aunts and uncles the grandparents everybody we're talking that's what we're talking about this great great big ensemble of people who are dancing now they're not literally dancing but in my mind the way i think of it is that they're all dancing to music and the music is unhealthy it's unhealthy music it's an unhealthy dance they shouldn't be doing they shouldn't be dancing nobody should be dancing it's an unhealthy dance the whole the whole act of the whole thing is is unhealthy but that's what unhealthy people do in these great big ensembles right in these families they're all dancing to the tune of what they're dancing to the tune of emotional disorder and emotional unhealth do you remember back uh, early on in early days of last symptom i talked about emotional disorders the symptoms of emotional disorders coming from what an algorithm an algorithm that gives you no choice you it makes you behave a certain way and now we're talking about it as dancers in a great big movie musical this ensemble of dancers uh, this big group of dancers and um, cast members and they're all dancing to the music they don't even know why they're dancing it's the emotional disorder it's the emotional health it's the the distorted and false beliefs at the root of all of these people at the foundation of all of these people that is causing them to dance like marionettes on strings they don't know why they're dancing they probably don't even know that they're dancing that's that's how I think of these unhealthy people, these unhealthy, large unhealthy families. They don't know it, but I know it. And anybody who escapes these sorts of things can look at it and see it and know it. But back to you, you're trying to get healthy. What is that going to require of you? What is getting healthy going to really require of you? Let's ask this. Can you keep dancing to the same music as these people and ever get healthy? Can you ever get healthy doing that? And can you ever remain healthy as long as you're dancing along with them? The answer is no. So what is getting healthy going to require of you? Truly, what is it truly going to require of you? It's going to require that you stop dancing at some point. You stop dancing to the emotional disorder, to the emotionally disordered ways of interacting with people, of viewing people, of communicating with people, of being around people, of talking to people, of viewing people. Did I say that already? But you get the idea. It's going to require you stop dancing to the, the music that they're all dancing to that all of these people in your personal life are dancing to. Now, what's going to be the natural result of you suddenly ceasing to dance to the music that they're all dancing to? What is the only result that can come of that? You remember what happened in the illustration of the, the cast of this movie musical how did they all react oh come on what's wrong with you why did you stop dancing what about the director why did you stop dancing you've just ruined everything were they happy about it no they're they're not happy about it because you're not cooperating it's like a wrench in the works you, simply one person if one person stops dancing in a movie musical and just refuses to cooperate with, I'm not doing it. <laughs> Imagine that person. I'm not, like in the middle of a Muppet movie. <laughs> you remember the, at the end of the Muppet movie, they're singing uh, uh, Rainbow Connection, right? Someday we'll find it 
the rainbow connection. Lovers, the dreamers, and me. And everybody's dancing. It's a huge ensemble. Well, imagine just like uh, Amy Adams in the movie. She's dancing and tap dancing along, and, you know, it's all uh, choreographed and everything. And all of a sudden, she just stops. And everybody else just keeps going, oh, where would your eye go to? Your eye would go to the person who's not dancing. And, of course, the director would just cut, cut. What's going on, Amy Adams? And all the other people who are trying dancing to this music, they'd turn on her so quick. Stop doing that. Dance along. Dance along. You're supposed to dance along with us. Well, that's what your family's going to do. But I, I think it's very helpful to think about the, uh, things in that way. That in your family, if you're unhealthy, it means everybody else is unhealthy. Not every single person. You, pro- you might have an uncle out there who did the work and now he's healthy. But he didn't start off that way. And if you don't see him at a, every single uh, family get-together, there's probably a reason for it. He probably don't want to be around that song and dance. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to do that dance. Doesn't like the music. Well, <clears throat> what am I trying to tell you? I'm trying to tell you that hard decisions are in the future. If you're wanting to get healthy, at some point, if you're not willing to really distance yourself from this family, but by the way, distancing yourself from your family is another way of just refusing to dance to that music. It's probably the most effective way because you're not even tempted then. And you don't, um, you don't have the influence of those people confusing you. So you've got clarity of thought when you put distance between you and unhealthy family. But let's say that that's not an option in your case or that that's not something that you want to do. What are you going to have to do? You're going to have to stop dancing to that unhealthy music. And what's going to be the natural result of that? Conflict. Conflict. Do you remember what I said another thing we were going to talk about was? Be willing to have people mad at you. So, are you able to do that? One thing keeping people... Dancing to the music, the unhealthy music, dancing right along, tappity-tappity, is what? Their concern about upsetting people, upsetting mom, upsetting father-in-law, upsetting what, what's Uncle Bill going to think of me? What's, what's Aunt Sally going to think of me if I just stop dancing to this music? What is my mother-in-law going to think of me if I just stop dancing this music? That's going to make her mad. My mom and dad, what are they going to think? They're going to think I'm being so rude. So do you see why I say it's necessary to be willing to have people be mad at you? So that's a nice long conversation about this um, movie musical right bunch of people they're all unhealthy and they're all dancing to music they can't help themselves why can't they help themselves but dance to this music because the music is the algorithm the music is the, it's pied piper type stuff they can't help themselves and they will keep dancing to this music but what happens when you stop dancing that one person stops dancing it messes everybody up. They don't like it. They want you to cooperate. They want you to get right back into dancing along with them. It's going to create conflict when you stop dancing to the algorithm, to the Pied Piper, to this music. And it's going to disrupt everybody else's dance, and they're not going to like it. And they're going to put pressure on you to get right back to dancing Are you willing to create that conflict? Well, you need to be because remember what you have to do that in order to get healthy. We established that. Remember we said, can you ever get healthy and maintain emotional health as long as you're dancing to this algorithm, to this music, to this unhealthy Pied Piper? And the answer is no. What does that necessarily mean? 
it necessarily means that at some point you're going to have to make up your mind that you will not dance to that music. And what's the reality about that? The reality of what that's going to create around you is conflict. It's going to make people mad. Some people very mad. Are you willing to do it? It has to be done. Can you... Oh, what's the... What's a good expression for it? Can you brace yourself for that and show strength throughout that? Let's ask this one last question before we close down the show. Between a couple, a married couple, a husband and a wife, who gets priority? Who gets priority? I'm I'm speaking to men. Let's say that you love your mother, but you're married. You have your own family now. Who takes priority? It's amazing to me that I even have to have this conversation, but apparently I do. If you have married a woman, what you have chosen to do is to take her on as your family you have left your family and now you are starting your own family. And you are responsible to your wife over anybody outside of your family. If your mother was tied up on some t- train tracks and your wife was tied up on those train tracks and you ha- and a train was coming and you only had time to save one of them, your responsibility is to save your wife. I can't believe I even have to have this conversation. Men, this conversation is for men. We all have deep feelings for our mothers, and it's proper that we do. And we should have deep respect for our parents, our mothers included, But when you get married, what you've done, if you've started your own family, you're not responsible for your mother. You're not beholden to your mother. You now have no obligations to your mother as an adult free agent. But to your wife, you do. If there's a conflict between your mother and your wife, it is your responsibility 100% of the time to side with your wife. You side with your wife. You never side with your mother against your own wife. She is your wife. You have profound responsibilities to her. that you don't have to your mother. What if you think that your wife is wrong? Like, let's say that your wife and your mother are bickering and you believe that your wife is in the wrong. What do you do? You side with your wife. You always side with your wife. It's your responsibility to do so. You are a team. You are not in a team with your mother. You're in a team with your wife. You side with your wife. And then later, behind closed doors, in a calm and respectful way, if you want to have a conversation about why you thought that she was wrong or how her thinking was off or how some things that maybe she wasn't taking into consideration in that argument, you can do that with your wife. But in front of your mother, you take sides with your wife every time. She is your teammate. Your mother is not. Your mother's on another team. Who's she on a team with? She's on a team with your dad. Or if she's by herself, she's an adult free agent who's on a team by herself. Is that going to upset your mom? Is that going to hurt her feelings? Well, it might. But are you responsible for her feelings? No, you're not even responsible for your wife's feelings. 
So how can you be responsible for your mom's feelings, who's not even on your team? You remember you, you left that team. You joined a new team. You formed a new team. You're responsible for your new team. But you're not responsible for other people's feelings. How about your mom getting mad? Well, you're not responsible for whether she's mad or not. What you're, what you're responsible for is doing the right thing. Remember, healthy people don't base their decisions on their feelings. They base their decisions on principle. So, is it your responsibility not to upset your mother? No, your responsibility is to do the right thing to the person that you are beholden to do the right thing to. And that's your wife. When it comes down, you adult men and husbands, to deciding about whose side you're going to take in a conflict between your mother and your wife, you always side with your wife, even when she's wrong. You know, the same principle here is if um, my child, for example, is in the wrong in something, I still take her side in life. If I have to do some, if I have to have a conversation with her later behind closed doors about how her thinking is wrong or how she did wrong, I do it in private. I dignify her in that way. But when it's my daughter against the world, I side with my daughter every time. Every time. That's my responsibility. It's a responsibility I'm happy to follow through on. And you husbands, if you're siding with your mother over your wife, shame on that behavior. Remember, behaviors can be shameful. People can't be. So I'm not saying that you're shameful. I'm saying that is shameful behavior. You need to think about that long and hard and get that straightened out. There's, there needs to be no confusion about whose side do I take. It, it, it's, you, have formed a, you have formed a family. That's your family. That's your wife. And you're going to go backwards? You're going to step backwards into childhood? And say, no, my loyalties are to my old team rather than my new team. You're going to do that? Can you imagine a baseball player doing that? Baseball player gets traded to another team and in the middle of the game against that other team, he, he starts playing in favor of the, his old team? What sense does that make? He's got no responsibilities to his old team. Even though he may have great affectionate feelings for his time with them and he may even have great affectionate feelings towards individual members of that old team, he knows the principles involved and where his new responsibilities lie. And if you have formed a family and you have a wife and there's conflict between your mom and your wife, principle says you side with your wife every time. Does, would your wife have a right to feel completely betrayed and unloved and confused by a husband who is constantly siding with his mother over her? Yes, she would. She absolutely would. It, that's a shameful, that's shameful behavior. So that's the show. Sorry to end it on such a, a spicy uh, note, but that, that's a serious thing. And uh, any of you husbands out there doing that, by, by the way, wives, it works the same way. It works the same way. My daughter grows up and goes and gets married, and there's a conflict between me and her husband. If my daughter sides with me in conflicts, by the way, I'm not talking about abuse. I'm not talking about abuse. Like if uh, my daughter were to marry an abusive man, which she's not going to because she's not unhealthy, and so she's not going to end up with an unhealthy husband. But what I'm talking about here is just conflict, just normal conflict. If my daughter were to side with me over her husband, and I, I were to become aware of that, I would have a conversation with my daughter and I'd say, daughter, you're not, we're not on the same team anymore. You, you've got your own team. 
you need to side with your husband. You need to support him. He needs to know that you have his support, that he has your support. And he has to be uh, have the confidence of that team relationship. So anyway, it works both ways. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the show. I appreciate you uh, joining me. I'm sorry it took me a while to get this show out. Uh, please join us over there at Locals, our group on Locals. That's uh, thelastsymptom.locals.com. Or you can join us by downloading the Locals.com app from the App Store and then just searching for The Last Symptom by Brian Barnett within. We do live streams on Mondays, and they're really good. You can interact with me. It's, it's all live and spontaneous, so it's real nice. You folks have a wonderful rest of your weekend, and I'll talk to you real soon. Take care.